The following message is from Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. In case you've been with us this this month or haven't been with us, we we began our Advent uh, series in uh, December. And uh, entitled Touchstone, and as Pastor Steve explained in the first message, uh, a touchstone is a special stone that, is, that was used to test the purity of precious metals like gold and silver. And by rubbing the metal on this special stone, a streak of metal is left behind in which you can now assess the true nature or the purity of it. And over time, this word touchstone has taken on a figurative meaning as well. That is, to describe a test or a criterion to determine the quality or the genuineness of something. And we ascribe this term touchstone to Jesus. And we've coined it for our Advent uh, series here because this is effectively what the arrival of Jesus signified. And as you may recall from Pastor Steve's first sermon, the the elderly Simeon prophesied shortly after Jesus' birth in Luke 2. He says, this child is destined, that is Jesus, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And so each week this month, we've been focusing on a different person that Jesus encounters to see what the Son of God, as the touchstone, reveals about them. And in turn, what we can learn about our own relationship with Jesus through their story. So a uh, little confession. Uh, growing up, I, I did not like my name. I didn't like my first name. I didn't like my last name. And Peter seemed too plain to me, old-fashioned. And my last name, as you may know, is Cho. Too ethnic-sounding, <laughs> uh, especially growing up in the Midwest, you know. And I would get picked on sometimes because of my last name. And I remember as a child, I would wish and uh, my last name was Park. I wanted my last name to be Park. If it was going to be a Korean name, I wanted to be Park. My cousin's last name was Park, and I remember wishing my last name was Park, too. And do you know why? Because I love (laughs) Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's alias was Peter Parker. And I thought, if my name was Peter Parker, I'm just two letters away from (laughs) Spider-Man. Peter Parker. And of all the superheroes I I knew of growing up, I identified most with Spider-Man. Not only because we shared the same first name, but he was kind of this young, slender, nerdy, but witty superhero, right? He's this average teenager, really, who gets bit by this radioactive spider, and that's how he gets his, you know, superpowers. And, uh, you know, these are some of the um, actors in recent years who have played Spider-Man. This is Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland. Here's a picture of me (laughs) when I was a teenager. And you can really see, like, if I just had that suit, I would look exactly like these other guys. I could really be the next Spider-Man, I think. What is the point of me sharing this? I don't know. It's because the youth group's here. <laughs> and because I share the same name with Peter Parker. But I also share the same name with the character that we're going to be looking at today, Peter in the Bible. And uh, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible and someone I could really identify with. Not only because we share the same name, but because the Apostle Peter was a guy who asked a lot of questions. And he was also a guy who made a lot of mistakes. And if Peter took an Enneagram, I I think no doubt he would be an eight. He would be a challenger, the leader, a protective leader. And um, 
There's so much written about Peter in the Bible, but today I want to unpack his story by starting with some of his own words, which he penned near the end of his life, when he was probably around 60 years old or so. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you notice anything here? Peter is using the language of a touchstone, isn't he? He's speaking about faith, but not any faith. He's he's speaking about a proven, a tested, a genuine faith, a faith that is worth more than gold, a faith that is refined by fire and revealed through Jesus and for Jesus, the great touchstone. And when I read this, I can't help but but think that Peter is remembering the prophecy of Simeon as he pens these words himself, and he's looking back at his own life, and he's sharing about how his faith has been revealed by Jesus. Well, what is the suffering and the grief and the trials that Peter speaks of that he endured and that tested and proved the genuineness in his faith? How did his encounter with Jesus reveal what it means to follow him? I believe as as the touchstone, Jesus reveals to us what true discipleship is through Peter. Jesus reveals to us what true discipleship is through Peter. You know, the first time we meet Peter in the Bible, he's fishing uh, with his brother Andrew and others in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus calls out to him from the beach. And I want to show you a a brief clip from the TV series The Chosen because I think it captures this moment of Jesus' calling of Peter so well. If we can play that video. Sometimes this show uses artistic license with the characters and and in their dialogue, but this encounter is actually very accurate to Scripture. The Gospel of Luke tells us that when Peter witnessed this miraculous catch, that he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus' words to him were, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. Follow me. Follow me. And this is Peter's first encounter with Jesus, and it sets up in no uncertain terms what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And as you continue to read through the Gospels, you realize that Peter is a guy with a really bad case of foot-in-mouth disease. (laughs) He's always putting his foot in his mouth. And to be fair, he's often saying what all the other disciples are thinking, but no one else has the bravado to say. And so over and over again, he's getting corrected, even rebuked by Jesus. Let me give you a few examples. In Matthew 18, Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven, or seven, 77 times. Matthew 16, when Jesus explains that he, has, he must go to Jerusalem and be killed and raised again, Peter says, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. In John 13, when Jesus tries to wash Peter's feet in the upper room, Peter says, no, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter says, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. (laughs) 
In Matthew 26, on the Mount of Olives, when Jesus predicts that all the disciples will desert him that very night, Peter says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You know, every once in a while, Jesus would commend Peter because he would say something that was right on. But more often than not, he wouldn't. And overall, the picture that we are given of this Galilean fisherman is of a brash, outspoken, self-confident man who is the leader and spokesman of this group of disciples. And unfortunately, Peter's foolishness is not limited to just his mouth. He often did foolish things as well, right? Whether it's sinking underwater when trying to walk towards Jesus or impulsively pulling out his sword and slicing off the ear of the high priest's servant when Jesus was accosted in the garden. Peter messed up. He messed up a lot. But nothing tops when he betrays Jesus. This is Peter's worst moment. And Matthew tells us this story in chapter 26 of his gospel. It says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. And said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives it away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. This Peter seems unrecognizable, doesn't he, from the man that we have come to know in this moment. A man so fearless that he would try to walk on water. A man so bold that he would cut off another man's ear. The man, this man now cowers in fear at the word of a couple small servant girls. And he denies the one he said he would follow to his grave. And when the rooster crows, he remembers that Jesus predicted this very moment. And it says he went outside and he wept bitterly. And this is more than just the shedding of a few tears. The Greek word used here speaks of a deeply expressive form of grief, loud wailing and lament. Peter is a broken man who has failed spectacularly. And oftentimes in the gospel, two people are, are juxtaposed with one another, meaning they're presented together, but they're presented in contrast with one another. And it's done that way, I believe, in order to highlight something. And quite regularly, this is used to reveal differences in how two different people respond to Jesus differently. We see it in Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Zechariah, the temple priest, and how they respond to their respective birth announcements of John the Baptist and of Jesus from the angel Gabriel. We see it in the sisters of Lazarus. And how they respond to Jesus being in their home with Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha frustrated with the lack of help. We see it in Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and then, and then the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. I think God does this 
Because there is something he wants us to see and he wants us to learn when we compare and when we contrast how different people respond to Jesus. Well, for Peter, do you know who his counterpart is? I believe it's Judas Iscariot. And if you think about it, they shared a lot in common. Both were called to be disciples of Jesus. Both witnessed all of the same miracles of Jesus. Both sat under the teachings of Jesus. Both would go on to betray Jesus. And both would be devastated upon realizing what it is that they had done. It's interesting, immediately after Peter betrays Jesus at the end of Matthew 26, the very next chapter in 27, we find Judas, and he's trying to right the wrongs, his wrongs, with the temple priests. And he's attempting to return the 30 pieces of silver. And when he realizes that what he has done cannot be undone, he's overcome with guilt and despair. And he goes out and he hangs himself, believing he has committed an unforgivable sin. He ends his life. Peter feels the same guilt, the same sense of despair as Judas. But remember, this is the same man who witnessed a miraculous catch of fish, and he cries out, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. But this is where their stories actually separate. Unlike Judas, Peter does not end his life in despair. Instead, he picks himself up, and he finds the strength to keep going. And when you read this story, you're left wondering, how did these two men who led such similar lives, who saw so many of the same things, how did their stories end so differently? What sets apart Jesus' faith or Peter's faith from Judas's? You know, I don't think it was a matter of willpower. I'm convinced that Peter's faith was restored in small and yet tender ways by Jesus and by faith after he had fallen. Not more than a week after Peter's betrayal, Jesus is crucified and resurrected. And when the women approach the empty tomb, they meet an angel who says this in Mark 16. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. These are the words of the angel. And it's a small detail, but I want you to notice how, this, how the angel instructs the woman to not just tell the disciples that Jesus has risen, but the angel makes a point to tell the women, you make sure and tell Peter. And if you remember, angels, they're just messengers. So they only re- relay what God wants them to say. And I believe Jesus wanted Peter, more than any other disciple, Peter to know that he was alive, to not lose hope. In Luke 24, we see how Peter responds to this news. He says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Peter senses that something remarkable has taken place, but he, does not, he doesn't know what to make of it. You know, it's interesting, not only do all four Gospels record the betrayal of of Peter, but they also record that Jesus predicted his betrayal. And this seems to be important to all of the, the Gospel writers. Have you ever actually wondered why Jesus goes out of his way to predict Peter's betrayal to Peter 
and in front of everyone before it happens. Jesus gives him the exact details. When the rooster crows and how many times you will disown me, not once, but three times. And, you know, I, I used to think that it was to remind Peter of his sin when he sins. But I don't think that's why Jesus tells him. I think like Judas, he would have figured it out. I believe Jesus tells Peter in advance exactly when and how he would betray him. Not so that Peter would remember his mistake, but so that Peter would remember God's mercy. Jesus wanted to, Peter to know that he already knew that he was going to betray him. He already knew that he would turn away. He already knew that he would sin greatly. And yet still, he chose him. And yet still, he loves him. And yet still, he receives and desires to restore him. And I also think this explains why the Bible includes so many examples of Peter's failures. I just read a few of them. But all throughout the Gospels, we see it over and over again. And I don't think it's to shame Peter, but to reveal to the world that the grace of God is truly sufficient for all and his mercies are new every morning. And I think this is why the Proverbs says in 24.6, For though the righteous fall seven times... They rise again. Jesus chose Peter, a man replete with flaws and repeated failure, to show us that a follower of Jesus is not defined by their failures. A follower of Jesus is defined by their faith. And this is the touchstone of Jesus. Through Peter, Jesus reveals that true discipleship is not defined by our spiritual success or spiritual failures in this life. True discipleship is defined by our faith in his unconditional love. It's, it's easy to believe in God's love for you when you're doing well and when you're doing the, the right things and when you think that you deserve it. It's quite another thing to trust in his love when you've really messed up and you don't feel like you deserve it at all. But the mark of a true disciple is someone who knows that they are sinners and yet still holds fast to God's love and God's forgiveness even when they sin spectacularly and even when we fall over and over again. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Peter knew that better than anyone. <clears throat> you know, a couple weeks ago after our Sunday service, I think we saw a powerful demonstration of, of this when our brother Lester stood up before all of us and he shared very openly how he had made a mistake. And, you know, I asked him uh, this week if it was okay if I talked about him today and he gave me full permission to share this. But I want to say that I was proud of, Les of Lester because of his faith in God's love, even when he knew that he had messed up. I was proud that he cared less about what people thought of him and more about what, how he had stumbled others and grieve God. I was proud that he wanted to repent and be restored because he wanted to experience God's healing despite his disappointment with himself. And I was proud that he was not someone who only wants to preach the gospel to the church, but he wants to practice the gospel within the church and in front of the church. And I hope that something that is not just true of our brother Lester, but for all of us, 
And I'm not saying that we all need to march up here in front of the church and confess all of our sins. I'm saying, but I am saying that within this family, within this family of faith, that I hope that we can all be vulnerable and present ourselves as flawed human beings, just as our sister Afrida said, whether we are pastors or whether we are members. Not because we are proud of our shortcomings, but because we believe in the power of the gospel. And we believe that there is no sin so shameful or no mistake so great that it is beyond the grace of God when confessed with humility. That is beyond his restoring power and beyond the fellowship of this body. In 1 Peter 5, Peter writes this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He will himself restore you. And, you know, these are not just empty words. Peter is speaking from his own life. He knew what it was like to be humbled and to have anxiety. He knew what it was to grieve and to suffer. And he knew what it is like to be restored by Jesus even after he failed. Now I want to close with this. Um, at the end of the Gospel of John, we find Peter, and he's back at the Sea of Galilee. And he's fishing. And he's returned to his old life again. The life that he knew before he met Jesus. And you're, you're left wondering if anything has really changed for Peter. Even after witnessing a resurrected Jesus. And upon returning from a long night of fishing and catching nothing that we read this in John 21. It says early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. <laughs> He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. And when they get to shore, what follows is a conversation that Jesus has with Peter around a fire in which he reinstates Peter to again shepherd over the flock. And three times he asks Peter, do you love me? And he calls on Peter to demonstrate his love by feeding and by caring for his sheep. And his last words to Peter is this, follow me, follow me. And I believe, again, this is a touchstone of Jesus. Through Peter, Jesus reveals that a true disciple is someone who loves Jesus and who follows him to the end. A true disciple is someone who loves Jesus and follows him to the end. It's, it's no coincidence that Jesus restores Peter while sitting around a fire. This is actually the exact same setting in which um, Peter betrays Jesus. And it's also no coincidence on the same shores off the Sea of Galilee, Jesus repeats his call, just as he did when he first met him, to follow me, follow me. Everything has come full circle for Peter. 
And it begins and it ends with these words of Jesus. Follow me. And this is the call of the king. Not just to Peter and his disciples, but to every person in this, in this room and around this world. That the good news of the gospel is that the king is here. And the kingdom has come. And the call of the gospel is to now respond to his invitation and to follow him. And make no mistake, the life and the story of Peter was not given to us so that we can enjoy a redemptive, feel-good story like so many movies that we view from our living room couch. It's not just for our entertainment. It's not just for our viewing pleasure. The life and the story of Peter, I believe, was given to us to reveal the mark of a true disciple and the call to follow him. And God expects us to respond to his call, but to respond and to follow the king of kings who has entered into time and space, took on flesh and bone, walked this earth, showed us what it means to bring heaven to earth. And over the course of Peter's life, we see what, what that looks like. And it's not always pretty. What it looks like to answer that call, to follow him, to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. When we look at Peter's life, we see that following Jesus takes on many different forms in many different seasons of our lives. And I think for some of us today, like Peter, following Jesus will, will be just, will look like repenting of our sin that has become our love and our master. And turning away from it turning towards God. And that's what it means to come and follow me. And for others in this room, following Jesus may look like just getting up, getting up again when you fall. Trusting in his unconditional love for you, even when you despise yourself. Even when you believe with your heart of hearts that you don't deserve it. Just getting up, rising and believing in faith that he loves us. That may be what it looks like to follow Jesus. While for others, following Jesus may look like simply serving others, loving them well, leading them towards Jesus as Jesus commissioned Peter to do. Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Love them well. Show them how much I love them. In the ways that you love them. And 
whatever this may look like in your life right now, know this. Know that following Jesus is a call to dying to yourself. And when we partake in communion, as we do almost every week, this is what we are remembering. We are remembering the one who went before us, who has died to himself in every sense of the word, and who's not just modeled for us, but has given us the power by which we are able to do that ourselves. And the promise that is to come, this is what we are remembering. And we are identifying with Jesus both in his death and in his resurrection so that we might follow the king faithfully in this life and bring heaven to earth as he did until he returns and until heaven and earth become one again and he finishes that work. Father, we praise you because in your wisdom and in your grace, you have sent your son not only to die for our sins and to make a way for us to be united with you again, but to be the very touchstone in which we can truly see ourselves for who we are and see you in all your glory. We thank you for your word. We thank you for people like Peter, Mary, John the Baptist, even Herod, who have shown us that who we are and what matters most is is who we are in you and who we say you are. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the King of kings. And you have called us as your children. To follow you. To come and turn away from that which deceives and destroys us. And to turn our eyes towards you and to follow you. And so forgive us, Lord, because like Peter, we, we, um, we are flawed. And like Peter, we fall and we fail over and over again. And grant us the faith, Lord, to get up, to rise up, to trust that you love us, not because of anything we've done or anything that we can do. There's nothing that surprises you. You alone know the end from the beginning and all the ways in which we will fail you even before we do it. And yet you still love us and you receive us as your own. Help us to walk in that power and that grace. We want to follow you. Help us. Pray in your son's name.